What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show and the final episode of 2022. Here for a kind of retrospective on the year are my two friends, Rodolfo Novak and Alex Leishman, who incidentally are also the founders of the two great companies which support this show, CoinKite and River. If you know all about them already, skip ahead 60 seconds. If not, keep listening. CoinKite is the maker of what many Bitcoiners believe to be the gold standard Bitcoin hardware wallet, the cold card. If you've been delaying on setting up your self-custody solution, I strongly advise that you take action, as 2022 was once again littered with examples which prove the adage, not your keys, not your coins. The cold card is also compatible with several of the most popular multi-sig solutions if you're interested in exploring that approach to custodying your Bitcoin. If gifting physical Bitcoin in the upcoming year is what you're after, the SATS card is a great way to do so. It's like an open dime, but you can load and sweep it 10 times with just a mobile phone, and it comes in a handy and familiar credit card form factor. Finally, the BlockLock Micro has recently hit the market for those of us that get a potentially strange, but absolutely understandable, satisfaction at keeping an eye on the current block height, sats per USD exchange rate, and much else. To check it all out, visit CoinKite.com. River allows you to securely buy Bitcoin, zero fee dollar cost average, and purchase hosted mining rigs. Also, their Lightning services enables developers and companies to integrate Lightning payments into their applications without having to run any Lightning infrastructure themselves. I recommend River because of their dedication to service, stellar team, and in-house approach to building a next-generation financial services business on Bitcoin. To get started, visit river.com today. Gentlemen, uh, it's been a while. It's good to see you. Thanks for doing this today, and I'll, uh, I'll preface everything by saying that Matt Hill was supposed to be here as well, but uh, I fat fingered the invite. And as a result, he got caught in a winter storm. So we'll have to get him. If we do this again, we'll have to get him back. For sure. So how are you guys doing? How's the year been? It's uh, It's been eventful to say the least. Really? It's been a non-boring year. Boring year. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Alex. I was, I was going to say the same thing. I think we... Uh... I think we 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 were, we were making the same joke <laughs> yes it was eventful what do you think i mean what's been the i don't know if highlights the right word but alex maybe you go first what's been the highlight or most interesting or exciting or whatever point for you um i mean i think the for, for me it's been such a validating year for river's thesis um which is uh focus exclusively on bitcoin don't take risks doing financial products and, you know, funny business that we don't really understand. Um, and, you know, frankly, I thought, you know, a lot of these companies that were zooming past us, uh, you know, like, like FTX and BlockFi, I thought, you know, there was a little part of me that thought, Oh, you know, maybe these guys are just smarter than we are. Like maybe there's something I don't really understand here, but I just don't get it. And, uh, it's it's been a very validating year that <laughs> there wasn't something I didn't understand. I, I did understand it and I just made the right decision. So um, that was a, yeah, that was probably, I mean, I don't want to say a highlight because a lot of people were hurt from all of this, but mm -hmm. it was certainly validation. Did you, I mean, surely you didn't think that you had just gotten the thesis wrong. I mean, I, I presume you just thought that these guys were going after hot risky money and that it would all kind of, crash around them at some point but i mean is that correct or did you were you starting to well, doubt the, the overarching thesis no i wasn't doubting our thesis of focusing on bitcoin um but i there was sort of like this this open question of like what financial products um make sense in a bitcoin world right 
And like, you know, collateralized lending on Bitcoin isn't like wacky. It's not like super crazy, but, um, and you know, that, that was sort of like an open question. Like, is that something like, are we missing an opportunity with that? Like, is that something that makes sense? Um, and we never, we never shipped it because it always seemed kind of not quite right. And, um, and yeah, so it's more like stuff like that. We were never going to offer like, you know, really insane things. Right. I mean, what, what do you think, what are your reservations about that one in particular? Cause you know, all the Celsius and FTX and DeFi garbage, there's a lot more wrapped up in it than just collateralized Bitcoin lending. Right. And you know, what, what is your, your main issue with that particular product? Well, I actually don't have an issue with, you know, fully collateralized, um, you know, lending as a, as a product. Um, if you're holding the Bitcoin, you're not rehypothecating it, you're lending dollars against it. That's actually extremely safe. Um, but is it a good business? Um, it's sort of also like this open question because the interest rates you have to charge on that are, you know, with, without rehypothecating the Bitcoin, right? The money typically in collateralized lending on Bitcoin isn't rehypothecating the Bitcoin. So right. you're doing full reserve collateralized lending like you have to charge pretty high interest rates to make any money. And then it really becomes like a sort of an open question of like how many people actually want this. Um, especially like if you have, if you're like wealthier and, and the, the money comes from the big loans. Um, and so if you're, if you're wealthier, you probably have access to like really cheap debt or way cheaper debt than you could get through a Bitcoin collateralized loan. That's not being rehypothecated. So you know, stuff like it's, it's basically like, they're just like interesting business questions there. Right. And did you, how did you like, did you do some market research or how did you figure out that it just wasn't going to be sufficiently profitable, let's say to, to move forward on? I mean, yeah, it, like it's, it's, it's not that, like there's a world where it is someday. Um, mm -hmm. It's just, we decided like, like it's a lot of work to build new financial products, right? And we we decided there's already plenty of room to improve what we already have, um, instead of spreading ourselves thin and doing something new, um, you know, just doing what we knew people 100% wanted, which is brokerage, custody, mining, lightning. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so really, it's just also just like a resource-based decision, like in focus. Right. Doing more things is yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and we'll come back to one of the points you hit on in a sec, but MVK, what's, uh, what's been the highlight for you? Yeah. I mean, uh, definitely a non-boring year. Uh, uh, I think, I think like two major sort of, uh, uh, realizations this year. One is, uh, this was, this was the validation of the grub brain year. I think everybody who played it dumb, simple, try not to be smart. Uh, uh, you, you know, like had their, their coins saved. Everybody who, who tried to be smart, um, you know, thought that they could outsmart, you know, quite brilliant scammers out there. Uh, a lot of financialization of everything, a lot of complicated words, a lot of complicated math got wrecked. Um, I, I know good people who, who, you know, like, some of the products, some of the things looked, they were safe at face value. Uh, they didn't understand uh, the extent of the risk in third, fourth, fifth order of, of, of risk, right? And, and, and other liabilities. Um, because like there were illegal things done. It's, it's not even that people could caught, 
you know, catch and understand the level of financialization that was happening, right? Uh, what happened was essentially a 2008 moment in, in the crypto space. Mm. Uh, people didn't understand the repackaging of, of this toxic leverage, right, in, in multiple layers. So if you just follow the grub brain, right, and, and like, you know, Bitcoin stored good, Bitcoin not stored not good, right? Like you, you did well. You really did well. You, you know, like... Uh, I think I think we have a fiat mind disease problem still in the space and even within all of us because we've been sort of uh, uh, conditioned to think this way. We think that count go up is more important than number go up. Um, and we need to deprogram that. We need to understand um, wealth uh, preservation is more important than wealth aggregation. So, um, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin's uh, a deflationary property takes care of your wealth value going up. You don't need to accrue interest on, on your coins in order to find financial sovereignty and, and increase your wealth value in the future, right? Mm -hmm. So it's all about sort of like really going extra fucking dumb. Uh, and, and being very sort of defensive of the pile and not doing anything with the pile as much as you can. Um, and uh, so, so that's one sort of like lesson and sort of like, a, like I think, uh, more like affirmation of, of, of this mentality that happened this year. I think this was like pretty awesome. Um, and then the other thing is like, it's just, I've never seen a bear market in all the bear markets I've been in where you have so much action, you have so many people buying uh, your products, you have so many people building, you have so much capital available. It's almost like we are in this cathedral here and the whole city's on fire, right? Like everything is fucking burning down around us, but like we're in this like beautiful little spot where like we're just sort of like totally able to build, capitalize, you know, like uh, learn and 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 like it's just it's just it's just amazing. Uh, so I think like these two things combined made this year be very special. Do you think that's like attributed to? Well, obviously, more smart money, I guess, being in the space. But like, is this the beginning of the separation? The beginning of the like uncorrelatedness? Even though the price of Bitcoin has been down, but as you say, like. There's investment capital available. There's lots of building. Like, what do you attribute that being the circumstance this time around? We haven't and even started with the scams. So I guarantee you that somebody right now at A16Z just invented the 1000X <laughs> scam for the next cycle. And it's going to be bigger than anything else you have ever seen before. And it, we're going to have many cycles like that. Like, fiat is too big, right? It's like there's 8 billion people dependent on the fiat system, the fiat mindset. And then there is, you know, the small amount of people who own that market and, and they're gonna, and they're gonna like milk it for, for quite some time still. There's a lot of inertia on their side, right? So, um, I, and, and another problem too, is that the biggest pockets in Bitcoin, right? Are still fiat minded people. Uh, uh, so every new cycle, the new pockets that come in uh, are still of a certain cohort of fiat people. So right now, this last cycle, we had the equities people come in, 
right? So they treated Bitcoin like an equity. Therefore, Bitcoin behaves like an equity. It looks fully correlated, right? So I think the next cycle is going to be very similar. Um, like, it, it, listen, we never know. Uh, you, you know, <laughs> the, the Saudis are bidding, kind of like joke. Uh, you just, you just don't know. But I still think that a lot of the money coming in is like that, and they need to be, they they need a a, a loss on the balance sheet to sort of understand, and some of them will stick around. These losses are still very small relative to their pockets. Um, even yeah. the people who lost money on FTX. Uh, except for Tom Brady, that was uh, that was a nice hit there. Uh, I think. Do you know? Do you know how much there, he was invested in the equity of that? I think he invested him and Giselle six hundred and fifty mil was all their wealth. I don't believe that. Yeah, I, I have I don't a hard time believe believing that. It doesn't too. make any sense. I'm my, I I would bet. I look. I don't know. I would bet Tom Brady just got paid like some cash and a bunch of equity for doing his like ads i would be shocked if he put in large sums of money so, himself into ftx yeah i kind of in that camp see here's uh one thing ftx had is uh they had the the regulator vibe the regulated vibe the you know sort of like uh white guy who speaks english vibe day 16z behind they, they had all the checkbox for people to just fucking go like Ape. full deposit <laughs> <laughs> right, I know companies who had like the majority of their funds sitting there because it was a fantastic trading trading engine. It was great because there was was all IOU. It's a lot easier to trade IOU. But like, <laughs> they actually had very good technology on the on the on the on the trading side, right? So all these entities were like just full deposit there, even if they were not like gambling. So I can see how you know, guys like that are not as sophisticated in high finance, uh, sort of like going, you know, and sort of like, hey, this is amazing. Look, this kid is amazing. I'm just going to like put more in. Uh, and then but where, where did know. that figure come from? Is that just like Twitter, Twitter news? I think it was I reported. It's what? I, I think it was more than Twitter. I think it was reported in, in a few uh, mainstream uh, outlets. Man, that would be rough because I mean, I can see there's a Sam. cap table. I think he's on the cap table actually. How that got paid out or bought out is a different story. But I, I it might have been, I think, on their cap table of uh, uh you know, like whatever. It was a super complicated entity too. Yeah. Well, before we move on to that whole debacle, just on the last point, like what what do you attribute if you say, you know, because it's basically I was thinking about just, you know, on a run the other day and it's a pretty much an evergreen statement to say we're so fucking early. Like we, we all forget how early we are because we're so in the weeds in this stuff. Um, and so you're probably right that there will be another cycle and another cycle and another cycle full of scams and full of fiat thinking and full of all the rest of it. But what do you attribute? Cause you mentioned that like this time funding hasn't dried up as much and there's a lot of activity and, you know, things always get built in the bear market, but why do you think this one, what, what makes this one different? math so so you have a, a whatever like 400 trillion market of like people that want to invest their money right that's distributed across all asset classes right and then you know like this cycle we managed to scrape off of that just like you know a couple hundred billion dollars right mm. and, and and that's enough 
to like make this space be a big boom in terms of like having, you know, like it's not like we have thousands of Bitcoin companies, right? We have hundreds. So like it's, it's a lot easier to divvy up that pie and find investment within that pie because it's just it's just so hard to convey and represent the size of the money market in the world. Like it's just it's just crazy, 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 crazy big. Mm. Uh, think I about mean, it I this way. That's... Yeah, go sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, you know, if you just get like the the top ten sort of like uh, uh, private funds out there, right? So like wealthy families and sort of like completely private stuff, right? I mean, all just those funds are like probably a hundred times the size of Bitcoin at the peak, mm. and, and that's like, like you know, like fifty people that fit in a room. <laughs> it, it, it's just, it's just so, 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 so much money out there, uh, and and it, this all was really caused in the last say thirty years, right? There was not that much, like. The, the the figures were like you know a million times smaller 30 years ago like this is this is this is all the, the money printing did this right mm. uh it's just that this got aggregated uh in, into financialized products that are really owned by very sort of like a small subset uh, of the market uh but anyways just the numbers are ginormous so if we just just by the sheer math of dividing the stuff up we you know, we, we get a, we get a cut on that point. Have, have you guys, cause you're both, you know, uh, consumer facing and stuff. What kind of a impact have you guys seen as a result of the so-called beer market? So, um, on, on our end, volumes are definitely down, um, as they are across the industry for buying Bitcoin. Uh, the big money isn't showing up like it used to, but mm. numbers are up. So like we're hitting record highs for number of orders, um, so what we're seeing is basically, you know, more yes. people are interested, but the whales like aren't, aren't aping in anymore. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, I'd be curious, to, but it sounds like hardware sales are actually really doing well. So I, I don't know if you're seeing that. So it's kind of fascinating. This black Friday was about a third of last year's black Friday, right? Which is already pretty amazing to me because it's just a complete burning down Black Friday, like all time low at the same time of Black Friday, right? So there's no retail coming into Bitcoin as new users to buy new hardware. But the two weeks leading up to it, uh, with all the, 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 essentially everybody realizing, even mainstream starting to say, not your keys, not your coin, uh, made up for those sales of last year. So mm. we have a November that looks almost the same as last year's November at a top at an all-time wow. high. It, it's 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 crazy that like we we will probably be say about twenty percent, twenty five percent total revenue less than last year. Like I've never been in a bear market that did this well, right? It's it's crazy. So it sounds um, like from both of you, plebs are just stacking their faces off uh, while the big money is, you know, skittish on the sidelines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we're, like, yeah we're, we're growing users. Um, uh, yeah. But it's, but it, yeah, it's that big money that's just not there right now. But, but also just wanted to add one sort of just thought to the last conversation, which is um, the investment 
funds that raised money in the last bull market haven't deployed at all. So there's still this like reservoir of cash that has to be deployed. Um, and I, I do actually think that we'd see like no investment right now if those funds weren't around, like if they had to raise the cash now to invest. Um, that's just like something to recognize that there's still billions of undeployed capital that basically legally has to be deployed. Yeah. You know, out of this cohort um, that Alex is speaking of, um, I it's my sort of view, my anecdotal understanding uh, uh, from having conversations with some of these people is that, so, so these are uh, sophisticated, non-risky, uh, uh, they prefer not to be seen as smart money, just smart, wealthy money, uh, uh, sort of like mentality. So they are not going to start buying Bitcoin until the price starts to trending up. They don't want to catch the bottom. They just don't want to get to have to explain to the owners of the family office or whatever that the price went down after their purchase, right? So they rather miss the bottom, you know, buy it say 25 K and like when the price starts to sort of tick up. Right. So we're going to be in this job for a long time because plebs. So Bitcoiners, even wealthy Bitcoiners are tapped out, right? Like, like everybody, everybody bought a few false bottoms. Uh, and then uh, you can't, at this size of Bitcoin now, you simply can't, we don't have the economical capacity of lifting the price up anymore just by ourselves. So we have to wait for new money to come in and new money only comes in when the bad, the bad mouth taste of a market sort of crash uh, washes off, right? Mm. Um, and, and this FTX thing was really like, you know, like this, this was, these guys are just like, holy shit. Like I, I, this is, this is above what I can understand of this space. I'm just going to sit and watch this for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, agree. I think what a lot of Bitcoiners don't really maybe understand is like the vast majority of people view all of this as the same thing. Um, I do think like, we you know, we are making some progress and making it clear, like there's a difference between Bitcoin and crypto, but I don't know how effective we can ever really be with that messaging. It is, it's just like, if you think of like the average person's life, like it's just so over here that like the nuance <laughs> of, you know, is just totally like not ever likely to sink in. Um, so especially like institutions, like they saw FTX and they're like, I, like, all right, you know, that was, that was like Bro. prime institutional, like, like product service. I mean, yeah. You know, that to them was the safe people to talk to, not like the crazy Nim on Twitter telling them to put it in a code card. <laughs> but doesn't it show you how little due diligence those like supposedly top tier institutions actually do, whether it's Sequoia or whomever? I think they did. And I think it was all lied to. Like, they, you know, well, FTX had a nice little folder of like, here's the due diligence. <laughs> you know, it's all beautifully done. The guy's on the cover of Forbes. Is that you know, all it like, takes to dupe the top, much. you know, uh, firms in the world is a, a folder with some, some lies and some nice, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, presentations in them or whatever it's all relative right to investment size like if the guy is putting a hundred million dollars he's not going to spend ten million dollars on the, the diligence right he might spend five hundred thousand 
maybe not even, maybe a hundred thousand, right? So, you know, and, and a if hot you want, deal. yeah, it's a hot deal. It's it's so on the you, table now. Like, oh, you want to do all that? Well, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna let this other guy lead then. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and also, you know, like, I also so think, crazy. Well, there's yeah, a cultural ahead, aspect to it. Like, like New York, um, you know, look, I, I, like, I don't think there's any secret sort of where I stand on all this overregulation, but like New York, part of the reason all these regulations exist is because like the New York culture has been like, they've seen so much financial crime. Like they, they know, like they, they, they know this, right? Silicon Valley isn't used to financial crime. Um, like it's not something that like capital allocators um, are thinking about a lot. Um, and so I also think there's just like a cultural aspect to this that like Silicon Valley now sort of realizes, oh, we need to worry about financial crime. Like there could just be people who are just totally lying to us about like numbers. Like, yeah, there was the Theranos thing, but that was like, you know, that was like a one-off, right? I think this is gonna like really wake a lot of Silicon Valley up to the level of crime that that people are willing to commit. I mean, you know, like if you get a big four, uh, accounting firm to do the diligence at this level for you, it's going to cost like a few million dollars. Like this is not like, and it's going to take a year. Like the the deals, the space, everything just moves too fast, right? Um, FOMO, baby. So, Nobody's immune. Yeah. I mean, was, yeah, audits take beautiful. a long, like audits are not little things. Like we're audited at River and it is like 10 times more work than you would think. It's unless you've been through it. It's like, you know, and you know, stupid, stupid shit like how. Yeah, and and but and also, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's it's, it's definitely true to some degree. It's like how harmless did Sam look and seem, and all that kind of stuff. You don't think that factored into people thinking like, well, surely, of course, this this weird geek vegan is not going to scam me of you know a billion dollars. So you know, whatever you know, we can like, skimp I, on the due diligence. Institutional could have looked at Binance and seen a much bigger balance sheet and less risk, right. but you know that's a Chinese dude. That like is in some whatever, right? Like, why FTX has FTX US? So that means somebody goes to jail, right? Um, his parents went to our Stanford law professors, and he went to right? MIT. And he I feel like his scamming is much better. You know, yet the social capital was all there. Um, Do you guys think? I mean, we're kind of going deep in the weeds on this now, but like, how deep does this scam go? You know, there's people talking about it used as a slush fund for various political parties and sending money here and washing money there. And and obviously, uh, was it his and Caroline's parents are like uh, SEC and can't remember what other department, but, you know, the type of people so that have, could help facilitate these sorts of things, or at least minimize the damage if you get caught. So I have some firsthand knowledge on the political side that I can share. Um, sure. And the rest, I think, is really just kind of more than like, sort of speculation territory for me. I don't know what I don't know, don't know what Rodolfo knows, but um, I'm pretty, I'm decently active in federal politics. Um, I don't think it's any like you know sort of. Um, I don't think anyone sort of wonders where I sort of lie on the spectrum. But um, I was working uh, on sort of supporting some candidates in in the 2022 midterm elections, um, and some money started in, 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 in some primary races on the Republican side. And um, some money started showing up uh, for um, these like boomer Republican candidates. Um, and sort of like I was trying to support like some younger, fresher, like more freedom oriented uh, candidates. And um, 
like, and, and, you know, so I won't talk about a specific race, but like one of these candidates, he was doing really well. It looks like he had a shot at like beating this sort of incumbents, like boomer Republic, like old Republican guy that just like, it doesn't really represent like the values that, you know, like freedom oriented Bitcoiners would care about. And, um, this millions of dollars came in for him, like at the last minute, uh, and we traced it back to FTX. Um, and I was thinking like, why would this like really clearly liberal, like ESG guy be spending money on like this old school Republican to keep him in office in a primary, right? Um, and uh, what it turns out was it was part of this regulatory capture thing happening where this specific incumbent would have been on the agriculture committee and that oversees the CFTC. Um, and so, um, you know, you basically had this money flooding in to basically sort of, you know, buy off these candidates that would bless FTX with their master plan um, if it had all worked of basically operating in the United States um, and having the blessing of the regulators and um, my hunch, and, and this is starts to get where it's unsubstantiated, is it was um, all a, like sort of, it was a criminal enterprise, whether it was started as such, or it sort of became one accidentally or on purpose. Um, at some point, like Sam and the others, and again, this is, I do not know this firsthand, this is like a hunch. It sort of became clear, okay, this is like, we need to figure this out. Like, how do we fill this hole? How do we start operating legitimately? Um, and to do that, I think what they realize is they need to acquire legitimate businesses and they need to get the blessings of the regulators so that they could then, you know, uh, operate in the United States, potentially as a public company and raise from the capital markets and fill all these gaps. Right. Um, and, uh, like, you know, he, his plan was foiled to get it all working. Right. Uh, and that's what I think was like, I don't think it's the full story. I, that's my take on like what the, he thought like the, the trajectory would have been. I, I I'd go full Rodolfo Johns here. It's like, this is like total air America. It, it, it all like fully captured it, it all. Like the books were kind of running the show or using him as a useful idiot. They were laundering money for like, you know, Democratic Party for Ukraine for like whatever, like really like Air America style. And then they they wanted this thing to fail at the end so they could overregulate the industry. It, it's like, you know, this thing had Gensler blancing to it. Like it, 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 the the scale of this to happen in the way that it did happen, it does not happen without blessings. Um, those guys had bank accounts in the U.S. They were able to fully operate. They had, didn't they buy like a bank or something in the U.S. too? Or, or I saw, and I also saw I think they had shares Twitter. in another one. Unconfirmed. You can't, you, you, you literally cannot buy certain types of regulator entities, financial regulator entities in the U.S. without the correct approved, government approved due diligence. Like this stuff is like, it, it, it was stamped all the way through 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 the the hurdles right and and you know and he accomplished what they needed to now they're going to try to come climbing down on uh and on so crypto to, and total, they some money 
obviously we're totally speculating here, but do you think yes. it blew up in advance of, so you're saying that they want to invoke the blow up as, you know, uh, uh, justification for whatever regulations, do you think it happened too soon where they could trying to juice it for more, or is this all part of the, I think the they're going to juice it for what they can, right? Like I, you know, these people understand that everything has limits, right? So like how much they, they will, it's, it's like with every type of regulation that is completely stupid, they will, they will do price anchoring style things, balloon trials, right? So they, they'll say something very absurd, kind of like 9-11, right? So they'll go and say, oh, you can't leave your house without papers. And everybody goes, no, that's just crazy, right? Oh, no, no, you can leave your house without papers, but you have to show it at the end of the block. People are like, and then only the people who really care about the issue go like, no, that's too bad. And everybody else just, ah, who cares? I can't get to the end of the block, right? So, so like, it really is this sort of anchoring style of regulation that they're bringing on. So given that, and back to that idea, this idea or discussion about the bear market, because I agree with you, Rodolfo, like, it seems to me that we're in for a long chop here. Now, of course, anything could happen, things, you know, things could rocket tomorrow. Um, but it almost feels like, you know, 2018-ish. Uh, and so do you think because of this, one, do you think the fallout is over? And let's let's remove the X crypto macro situation. But do you think like the within industry fallout is over? And, you know, how long do you think it's going to take for all this to digest, basically? Because of the financialization of Bitcoin, we, we are no longer in a place where we can just sort of like completely ignore it, right? So because essentially what you have right now is that you have a lot of Bitcoiners that have positions, long positions that got stuck with from being drunk at the all-time high, right? Uh, and those, you there's a lot of large positions. positions. Yeah. There's a, lo there's a lot of large positions, right? So uh, those could get triggered Right, though you could trigger some more liquidations if the price drops, and the price could drop due to macro shit or more more uh, catastrophic failures. Um, I'm not very concerned about the Genesis stuff uh, uh, because one is Barry has a ton of money, uh, and he will try to buy that BTC cheap if he can, right? And he's going to have right to first refusal on that, so. I'm not very concerned about that. And then everything else that failed so far is going to be stuck in bankruptcy court for like the next five, 10 years. So like if there is any BTC to be liquidated, it's not going to get liquidated from there. I think the biggest issue really is sort of like macro stuff that could then trigger some of the more things to fail. Uh, so, so I don't think we're clear on that uh, for a while. Uh, and, and it's very opaque and it's very complex. And I, I don't know, I, I don't think we can have any sort of like educated sort of guess on, on this. I, I agree. And I think the thing to recognize here is this bear market isn't like the others. This bear market is the first bear market that bit, that um, Bitcoin has had during a macro recession. Um, mm. uh, that's never happened before, right? Like we've been in an era of, um, easy money since 08 and Bitcoin came out after that. Right. And so that's reversing. And so now we're going to learn like, how does Bitcoin hold up? Um, do you, um, do you yeah, guys so, put so any what thought I find into interesting, though, the macro situation? Sorry. 
Sorry, sorry uh, I, I missed you there, John. Like, obviously, nobody has a crystal ball here, but in thinking about the macro situation and how it's going to play out or how they're going to kick the can down the road or any of that kind of stuff, I mean, does that factor into your guys' thinking? And if so, you know, what are your thoughts on how this macro situation plays out? Um, I think I have a, like, I think Bitcoiners sort of like greatly uh, uh, discount and, and dismiss how smart uh, the MMT assholes are. Um, they, you know, these people have the capacity and inertia on their side to kick this can down the road for another two, five, 10, 20 years, right? They, they could find a way. They will invent some new math. They'll convince enough people. So it is in their interest to accomplish that, right? It, they don't want to see anything burning down because they lose their jobs. So, um, you, you know, now if they accomplish that or not, that's a different story. I, you know, that's beyond me, but like, I just think it's important to understand that like 8 billion people depend on this working. Right. So, and, and these people earn from that 8 billion people keep on going in that direction. That's a lot of capital. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of minds to change. So, you know, I remember when we change. Uh, from the third or fourth failed currency in Brazil to the real, which is the one that still remains now, they literally convinced people overnight to no math that was one-to-one -to, -one to the U.S. dollar. And it, and it kind of worked. Um, so, <laughs> you Who know, knows? Like, anything could happen. Exactly. Yeah. Alex, what do you think? No, honestly, I don't really know. I, I, I mean, I generally agree with what Rodolfo was saying. It's like, I... I don't believe the dollar collapse is imminent. Um, I think that's unlikely, uh, not impossible, but unlikely. Um, I think it's possible there's another 10 to 20 years left of you know, like dollar dominance. And, um, you know, it's interesting, like uh, if the United States actually does get its act together, which I, I do believe is unlikely, that would extend it, right? Um, mm. <laughs> if the United States actually does like move towards a balanced budget and make the political changes necessary, um, the dollar will last even longer. I don't think it's likely, um, but yeah. So I, I don't really know. Um, it's I don't like I'm I'm sort of like I, I, I said it before like macro stuff. I don't really pay a whole lot of attention to because I think it's sort of just like reading tea leaves and I, it's not worthwhile. I just like it's like grub rain, right? Like. It's like Bitcoin, good Bitcoin, logical, like long-term over some time period, whatever it is, it's going to work. And that's how I like plan what I do. You yeah. know, it is, it is my framework that like the dollar, the U S dollar is the best shit coin, right? It's like that is the shit coin that everybody in the world wants. So like, you know, that market share is going to be very hard to sort of like, you know, get eroded with all the other government shit coins, which are worse than like people want more Bitcoin than they want a you know Italian lira, well, which is euros now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like so so like it's like USD in the packing order is like USD and then Bitcoin, right? Like so you know I think I think that's a very important framework to have like as at least for the sort of like the mid future kind of like uh, outlook. Yeah. I mean I, I think everyone 
necessarily has to default default to that because nobody can predict how things are going to go and all sorts of potential black swan events. And so you just, you know, follow the age old wisdom, stay humble, stack sats, and things will probably work out well in the end. Um, Rodolfo, on a totally unrelated note, but what, what's going on in Brazil right now politically? I, you know, I've they had that uh, election recently, right? Do you follow that stuff? And if so, I, what, what's going I on? only I get I get what the family tells me kind of thing. I, I don't I don't personally follow, but I do get a lot of family feedback in regards to that stuff. So essentially nothing's happening. So you have you have, you know, the new the new total crim, crime lord, communist crime lord, new president coming in in January. This is Lula, right? Lula. right? Yeah. Like a legit criminal like was in prison uh, um, for quite a while. Um, he is essentially reinstating because the last guy was impalatable to a lot of people, but he was more on the, you know, like a little bit less of a criminal or try not to look like a criminal. While this guy, the new guy, Lula. You're talking, you're talking about Bolsonaro? Yeah, Bolsonaro. Yeah. So Bolsonaro talks a good game, but also good criminal, but not an overt criminal. Right. Uh, and, and when we're talking about like politicians in Brazil, we're talking about like real crime, like like all of them. <laughs> like, and, and, and it's a lot of crime and it's a lot of money. Like uh, so, you know, we don't say these things hyperbolically. They are all criminals. Uh, so so anyway, so so Bolsonaro was uh, doing a good amount of crime, but doing a lot of good stuff that had to be done and clean up. Um, and, uh, but you know, like on, on, on the social side, he was a little bit too right for a lot of people there. Uh, and in Brazil is essentially divided in two, right? You have sort of like the middle and the South of Brazil. It's like mostly of, of white European descent uh, of course, mixed and stuff. Brazil, everybody's kind of like, you know, some tone of of like some background, right? Like we're a lot more mixed up than every like than other Western countries. Yeah. Um, so, but but it is uh, a lot less uh, of African descent, right? Um, and and then in the north of Brazil, you have like so you have this ethno divide, right? And then you have cultural divide. Uh, and, and, you know, the North is a lot more poor, like, like, like a lot more, like it, it's like, you know, if they own say 20% of the total capital, of the country, I'm exaggerating. Right. Um, so, you know, there you go. You have a perfect political divide. You keep these people poor, they vote for you. You know, these other people don't like me anyways. So Lula caters to the poor part of the country is also a lot more corrupt. So they manage to, to do whatever they can claim racism. There's like, it gets very complicated very fast. Right. And Lula was an overt communist, right? Like not, not like, you know, like legit gun carrying, like communist part of the, like uh, what they call a forum of Sao Paulo, which was this big meeting that happened in Cuba in the seventies, I think uh, it's a group. They all like each other. They all want communism to prevail. Uh, so, so Lula is coming back on. You know, he buys all the votes, legit, sent checks, big checks, uh, bought With all the money? votes, stole all the votes. 
but you know, the other side also steals, finds their own way of doing their own nasty shit. So it's just nasty on both sides. Uh, but Lula has that extra kick of the communist shit, right? So people are don't like it, but it's Brazil. In Brazil, people are busy trying to eat. People are busy trying to work. People are busy trying to go around government. So nobody's going to fight. Nobody's going to go to civil war. None of that stuff. That's just like sort of midstream, not mainstream TV, trying to find some drama in Brazil to report about. You know, of course, there's people on the street, but there's always people on the streets in Brazil. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't believe there is anything to it. So Lula stays the president and Brazil just has a communist president for the time being. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's <laughs> there's a non-zero chance that Bolsonaro gets the troops to sort of go and kill the guy or do something else, but unlikely in Brazil. Right. Um, what do you guys make of the, the recent Twitter revelations and so, quote unquote, election integrity in the United States? Not it's your country, shocking. Alex. You run with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i mean i think it's uh so I, I lived in the san francisco bay area for eight and a half years um and you know it's it's very clear there sort of like where people um align right it is very left-wing like extremely left-wing the norm is like if you're a moderate in san francisco you you look right-wing um uh, which so is how, why Elon how did Musk you get on now. with everybody? Um, what was your uh, social life like? Well, so I grew, so I grew up, so yeah, you know, I'm pretty right wing. I grew up in a very left wing area. So my whole life I've actually only ever been around majority left wing people. Um, so I'm totally used to it. Uh, so like the same social pressures that like make people sort of like closeted, sort of like Republicans, like I just don't, I just don't care. Like, and, and so um i guess i'm just unique in that way um but I, yeah it, like and like i get along with everyone like it it's not at the end of the day like you can still get along with people who have different totally, political opinions totally. there's just like in, in san francisco there's like normal like people who lean left which i have many friends like that it's really like this like five percent of people that you don't get elsewhere which is like crazy like like it's like the crazy blue hair like hr lady right that um yeah like wears rainbow t-shirts and stuff right um <laughs> and uh that they, they 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 really like are who set the tone at these companies um and it's it's that it's sort of like that intolerant minority sort of like thing right and so so twitter is really and and, and every major tech company uh is just institutionalizing sort of like the the ideology and the norms of the bay area um but because they're they're because they're software companies the entire world is now subject to this um and like i, I think the impact of that like can't be overstated yeah. uh and it's been had a tremendous impact on like shifting our world towards like communist capture of our institutions um and normalizing like nutty ideologies um and and so, so that said um you know i think like people at twitter are like like it, it's it's just it's not shocking to anyone who's worked in silicon valley basically like yeah of course they were working with the democratic sort of operatives 
you know, in, in the United States government and the, you know, intelligence agencies to further a political agenda. Um, it's just not shocking at all. Uh, and it's what everyone sort of has seen and known in broad daylight. And, you know, they were telling everybody, you know, two plus two equals five, this isn't happening. This isn't true. It's like, right. As they're doing it right in front of your face, as they deplatform a sitting U S president. Um, and now we're seeing how, you know, how the sausage was actually made that they were actually, um, uh, coordinating with the FBI that they actually, the FBI had a guy in Twitter, um, who was a former FBI agent, you look at some of the correspondence, right? And they're like, the FBI reaches out, is like, is there anyone at Twitter that would happen to have a, a top secret clearance? And then, you know, you all Roth or one of the other guys working there goes, oh yeah, you know, we do have this other guy, James <laughs> Baker or whatever it was. And, and, the, and the FBI goes, oh yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, that's right. Like, like they didn't know, like the guy used to work together and they like, you know, it's like, oh yeah, that's right. Oh yeah. And it's just, it's, it's, like, and didn't yeah, they pay, the it's so is, overt. Didn't they do, they, didn't they, I saw this, didn't they pay them directly like 3.6 million or something? The FBI to Twitter. I saw something about that. Yeah. I mean, was it for like training or something? So you have yeah. like, you know, this is true in most countries too. Like when you engage, when the government engages with you as a private company and you incur like costs, like legal costs or whatever, build them. They, there is often a, 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 a requirement that the government pay some of that back. But from the looks, it looks like that cost was incurred on purpose. So Twitter would get paid on purpose. So they, they said they used the, the correct, like a, a legal mechanism for them to get paid for things that they shouldn't get paid to begin with kind of thing. Yeah. Doesn't it seem, isn't it such a different vibe out there in cyberspace now? Like we just came out of two years where if you question anything regarding COVID, yeah. vaccines, man or woman, whatever the fuck else, you were like suspended, deplatformed, demonetized, excommunicated in some way, like immediately without any recourse and oftentimes. And now you can pretty much say what you want. And, you know, there's a, now it's coming with all the baggage of of Elon and it remains to be seen like what that's going to turn out like but isn't it strange that like we we all forget well you forget quickly i suppose that the last 2 years have been like just insane hell. dystopia yeah dystopian hell on on twitter and social media generally and here we are now at least in a place where you, it feels like you can speak again without having to you know be concerned about every like the the words you use and everything you say I think we we've passed peak woke, uh, Fuck, and, I and I, so. there, there is nothing like economic catastrophe or the fear of economic catastrophe for for the average person who who are stockholders who are like not preoccupied with the you know like the the nuances of the policy and politics and stuff and social media, like like you know the fear of losing money sort of normally starts to to cling things and sort of air out. You know, like you look at ESG dying, you know, like funds don't want BlackRock to waste their money in solar panels that are like garbage, right? Like, so the, mm. the, the BlackRock ESG fund is like dying out or already like they're looking at what, how they're going to handle that because, yeah. you know, the, the smart money was sort of like sleeping through this, you know, like they're fed this thing. Listen, you know, you're saving the world, feel good. Listen, if you invest in our fund, you know, we're going to, we're going to stop slavery. We're going to stop, you know, like, uh, 
uh, abuse against like some form of the the, the rainbow flag people. It, it, do you know what I mean? Like it, it's like people are inherently good and they want to feel good that they're doing good, yeah. right? And they're and they're busy, you know, in their nice boat somewhere, right? So you know, oh look, there is a stamp of being a good person on this portfolio, right? And but as soon as the economy starts to go to shit, they start to like you know like okay. Let me take a quick look at this portfolio here, right? <laughs> and and I think that's true for even the people who don't have like a massive portfolio, right? They start to reassess like their their actions and, and their allocation of capital, right? Even if it's like which coffee shop they go to. Uh, um, and, you know, like the, the prospect of, of money being lost is, is very sort of like, uh, it's like a nice little sort of br brings you back to reality a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I generally agree that like, I think wokeism is the result of a lot of just like excess. Um, and uh, the minute the rubber has to meet the road and, you know, profit margins start getting thinner, uh, those, you know, 10 diversity, uh, you know, executives that you have no longer look as compelling, right? Um, uh, and, um, but but I do... I am on the fence of like the longer term here. Like I do think Elon like, like sort of like that, that sort of like reemphasizes, I think like the great man theory of history, like one guy just sort of like illogically threw $40 billion at like, because he, he like his values were aligned with this thing. Like it did not make sense economically, mm -hmm. like maybe long-term it will have, but like he literally just sort of like took one for the team. It looks like, um, and well, it's uh, mostly soft bank that took one for the team. Elon just convinced enough people to jump in with him. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I don't know how much of his own money he actually put in. Um, but uh, um, yeah, it just took one guy like to do that. Right. And um, I, but, but I do, I am worried. And, and I do think more moderate people like Elon is probably like a 2005 moderate Democrat. Right. Um, uh and it just gotten so crazy that like some of these moderate guys are now waking up and go, okay, like we actually now have to stand up against this. Um, and, uh, but, but I am concerned that this whole thing though, I mean, the norms have shifted so far still, like it hasn't walked back, right? The capture of institutions across the United States. I can't go anywhere without seeing a rainbow flag. I can't, I can't walk in a, an ICU in a hospital without seeing a rainbow flag, right? And um, the occupation has like, like progressed very quickly and you don't just undo that. Um, and uh, the cultures and the norms of the most important institutions in our country, the military, health, health, the health, healthcare industry, um, every federal agency has just shifted seemingly permanently to you know, a point where it's very concerning. Um, and I'm not convinced that like, just rising interest rates will fix it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I would agree that it's a more ingrained problem and it's probably going to take some more time to unwind itself. And, you know, punchline Bitcoin fixes this, in my opinion. But I, I do think it's a good point that, you know, when you have basically uh, artificially cheap capital, when you have, you know, when the consequences of, you know, capital and capital deployment are less, are less tethered to reality, let's say, then you get all these weird, perversions of things and when they have to be brought back to some semblance of reality even though of course like you know the fed setting the cost of capital at whatever it is right now is not reality but it, let's say it's a little bit closer 
then those excesses are diminished to some degree. And I agree, you know, like another, I think, poignant example was DeSantis in Florida, who won, you know, the phrase go woke, go broke, I think is catchy and, you know, travels. But just taking on someone like Disney, it's like, okay, you're going to go super woke or I can't remember. I think they were funding the um, opposition to one of his bills. Right. Uh, and he was like, cool. Well, your special status, whatever it was, you know, your tax exempt status, that's gone now. So, you know, how you like them apples. And I think all it takes is a couple of those big examples, like Elon doing what he's doing with Twitter and that for, you know, a lot of people to be like, well, what do I value more? The flag in the window or a billion dollars in our coffers? And I think, you yeah. know, relatively quickly, people are going to be like, I prefer the bank balance than the rainbow flag in the window. You know, it's the, the rainbow flag is such a shame, right? Because, I mean, you do have a cohort of the population that did struggle for a while and, and it's completely co-opted by commies and, and like, yeah. you know, and, and like kleptocracy through like ESG shit. So it's like, you know, how, how did this like, you know, like what do you like to suck movement? sort of became, you know, like a total like communist endeavor, right? Of the redistribution of wealth. Like, you know, that flag doesn't represent people's like sexual preferences. It represents like literal communism. Like, you know, like, and communism by the definition, right? Like, you're not allowed to say stuff. You're not allowed to be free about this stuff. You're not allowed to have your money. Like, every single aspect that defines communism is represented by that flag. And they keep on expanding on the flag, too. Um, Maybe it's the case that, you know, like those sorts of, you know, communist groups, ideologies always attempt to co-op the thing that has yeah. the most power, power. And that symbol of the flag, you know, I, you're right. Like people did struggle for a long time to get recognition or respect or or acceptance or what have you. And as a result, like that symbol, there's a lot of like compassion and and perhaps even virtue associated with it at least. Yeah. And if you can co-op that as a means of coercing or controlling or manipulating people, then that can be a very powerful tool. And perhaps that's to I mean, some degree what's happening. civil rights in the US, right? I mean, commies infiltrated civil rights movements in order to do the same. Well, I think I think it's um, I think the explanation that I find most compelling is this sort of like idea of um, in the United States. So so if you look at like how communism spread in other countries and like Russia and China, right, they could appeal to class structure, right? Um, they could go to all the peasants and be like, you will have status in this new system, right? And that that is like insanely compelling, right? Um, and it, it was able to capture power. But once once the left in those countries captured power, a strong man stopped the leftward shift, right? Why is China and why are China and Russia so less left wing and weirdly like like progressive than the United States? You don't see rainbow flags in China. Um, and it's a literal communist country. Why is that? Right. Well, I, the explanation that I find compelling is that um, class struggle in the U.S. was never a, an Achilles heel. Poor people in the U.S. don't feel poor. They feel like they're going to make it someday. So this whole like class stratification as a tool for political division never worked. So instead, it's biological. Um, instead, it's it's based on racial groups and sexual preference. And so like there's and and, and this is really not like some conspiracy. It's the way the incentive structures work. Like you know these the the left really sort of finds the winds and rallying around Black Lives Matter and the rainbow flag, um, because that's the divide 
that's the oppression uh, stratum that 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 leftism in the United States can effectively exploit. They can't do it with class, um, and uh, and and that's that explains what what's happening. You know, that's something I always found very cool about America is that like, you know, if you ask most people, they don't want more taxes, right? Most countries in the world, if you ask most people, they're perfectly happy with more taxes or they, they want people to be more taxed. But in the U.S., you know, the, the lower classes know that, you know, they will be making more money at some point if they work hard or be smart or whatever. So they don't want to send back their future. I find that like such a such an amazing sort of like little heuristic uh, of of like just optimism. It's like don't send back my future. Don't vote for more taxes. Like it's just it's the rich people in the U.S. that want more taxes because they do have you know other means of of, of like getting around it, right? Uh, uh, it's just it's it's so cool. Yeah. Alex, I'm just thinking about your your China example because I, I I spent a lot of time in China and I'm just curious now like why something similar hasn't emerged there and of course like appreciating that there's a lot of control over online discourse and you know if there's ideas and movements that the government doesn't want to uh, bubble up then they certainly have means of uh, quieting it to some degree but you know you have like a lot of racial homogeneity in China obviously and then. Even what I thought was interesting when I was there was there wasn't perhaps for the same reason, there wasn't that much class um, like angst, let's say, or or tension, because I feel like the, the economic story there has been such that everyone feels like, you know, what's the so-called Chinese dream, which is an actual term in China, is available to everyone now because everything's been so good for the last 20 years. And so you would see a guy pull up in his Rolls Royce and sit on the literal sidewalk of a noodle shop that's a hole in the wall and just get out and slurp up his noodles with, a, you know, a guy who has $10 in his bank account or no bank account whatsoever. And they're, like there really was not because, you know, even in the U.S., you wouldn't really see that because those sorts of people wouldn't go to the areas of town where people are eating on the side of the road. And there's definitely a, a, a big gulf in the identity of those two people. And that makes it difficult for them to kind of jive. Whereas in China, that doesn't exist at all. Also because that guy with the Rolls Royce five years ago was the dude in the, like on the street eating noodles, like out of the hole in the wall because the, the wealth accumulation has been so rapid. So yeah, I'm I'm trying. I'm wondering why we haven't seen the same sort of uh, odd social phenomenon in in China and other places as we have in the U.S. Well, I, I think it's. I think I think it. I so I, I I mean I agree. I think that's maybe generally true. But I do think like the U.S. is um you know like if you look at New York right, you go to a, look at the subway. Any given subway car. There's probably a millionaire and a schizophrenic homeless person, right? right in the same. New subject. York's a bit of a special um, case, but I get I get your point. Yeah, but yeah, but but um, uh, you know, I, I think it comes down to sort of the fact that the leftist movements in those countries were able to capture power completely, right? So they had the strongman, and the strongman is what stopped the shift, right? The strongman is what is what prevented things from getting crazier because. They've consolidated power, so they don't want this crazy stuff anymore. They don't want the class strife anymore. Like um, the right. class strife was very real because they had a civil war about it, right? Uh, and the strongman consolidated power with Mao or with you know Lenin, and um, that stopped the shift left. Uh, the United States has such an effective democracy and such a good uh, federal system with checks on powers that a strongman never 
is able to actually get that and stop this leftward shift. Again, this is like an interesting theory that I'm not saying, you know, explains everything, but mm -hmm. I do think is an interesting aspect. And I'm not saying we should have a strong man. It's, it's just, it's like, it's almost like we can't have one. So our descent into craziness just keeps going. And um, uh, it, it's, uh, it's, yeah, I, I find it an interesting explanation. Well, I think it's interesting that, you know, speaking of Alex, you were saying that this, you know, will take more time to unwind itself if it will. Um, and again, I think Bitcoin will be a massive contributor to that at some point, but it wasn't Elon's motivation behind, you know, buying Twitter because, you know, his uh, shtick is like, well, I'm interested in, in SpaceX so that we can be multi-planetary. And, you know, if there's any catastrophe on earth, we have a second option and electric cars to save the environment. Um, but I think his, you know, explanation for Twitter was, the woke mind virus is basically a, a, an existential threat to the world. And Twitter seems to be the place where it's propagating the most perhaps. And if someone doesn't step in and, and stop it, then we, we won't even have to worry about, you know, asteroids or climate change or anything like that, because it's just going to cause us to eat ourselves basically. Um, do you guys buy that? And also, no. you know, as a, as a, before I, before I hand it over to you, do you think, I mean, seems to me like elon's got a fuckload of balls like say whatever you want about him and you, whatever your opinion is like he's going up against anyone you can go up against the clintons the deep state the three-letter agencies the like any other uh like foreign power nation whatever and it seems like he just has no trepidation whatsoever than to just release anything that comes across his plate and say and you know tweet out anything that he finds suspicious and like if I was him, I'd be afraid to leave my house. You know, I know he's got security detail at all times, but man, like he's really poking the, the hornet's nest. You know, um, I, I think in a way, like he's he's essentially permission control the position. Um, there you we know, go. You know, the the guy does have the balls. I mean, like no doubt, right? Uh, but again, like you said, like it doesn't matter how much balls you have. I mean, like when you cross certain certain lines, being of a certain size, you're going to be taken down. Period. Right? Unless you are permitted to. So, one is I think Twitter is one of the greatest sort of like amounts of value, unappreciated values value in a company that's ever been around. Um, you know, you have like literally like half the brains of the world sort of like shitting on each other all day on that platform, right? Like you have all the important people, you have all the world's sort of like major conversations. It's, it's, it's absolutely remarkable, right? That this did get to the size. It's like, it's the world's public square. Hmm. Um, and so, so assuming, you know, you have value, right? That, that could be, monetize to the extent that it needs to be put to have justified that investment, right? So, so that is one sort of way of looking at it. Second is Elon is a master in, in like gathering capital that is not necessarily his uh, to, to go do interesting things, right? So Tesla was built on credits, right? Government credits, um, you know, uh, SpaceX uh, is, is essentially on government's tits, right? Because that's the contracts that 
that do a lot of the stuff that they does and then like now he has a monopoly on that that nobody can get in can get in so he can do the private satellites too it's not to diminish his accomplishments right like i mean the things that he has built are absolutely incredible but you know it's very hard to build those things without being also incredible at like you know mooching on all that capital and sort of like aggregating it in those ways um and then you have starlink right also fucking remarkable but like you know, you don't get to put rockets in space without being an approved person. You don't get to like cover Earth in satellites for the internet without being an approved person. Like this guy is like playing in a level that like I think even the Clintons are not sort of like like capable to purview to or sort of. So like, who do you think's doing the approving here? Like who's well, approving I mean, like, Elon's like behavior? Just, incentives it's not like necessarily a conspiracy per se but it's more like incentives and, and and sort of like bigger entities that some of these like usual players like you know the, the whole like the stuff that he plays at the whole military complex has to prove right like he's competing with like raytheon and and like boeing and like all these companies in some of this stuff right so you know you have to be approved <laughs> i mean i i have to agree but i do think there's another aspect to this which is the government doesn't have a choice mm -hmm. spacex is the only launch vehicle True. um like that that well there's ula right but like 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 u.s hegemony especially in in space uh is basically dependent on spacex at this point um so there's this other aspect where like they can't take him down even if they wanted to because what are they going to do like he if if he ships ships starship um like boeing can't do what spacex does right lockheed martin can't do what spacex does yep. they're run like these old school you know pork barrel companies like spacex is accomplishing things nasa and these companies could never do culturally and um if he's already lowered access to low Earth orbit by an order of magnitude with SpaceX. And if Starship works, he'll move it another order of magnitude, like basically solidifying U.S. dominance of space for like the foreseeable future. And, you know, if you're in the, like, if you're like this insider in the intelligence military, you know, like U.S. government world, you're, you're kind of like, you know, you're going to shut that guy down. Like, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot so it's kind of like howard hughes in a way right i mean like you know like they needed a lot of his technology and the way that he ran things uh you know government is surprisingly good at letting crazy people run loose uh uh when they need them to 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 accomplish certain things you know like yeah. if you look at the skunk works at lockheed martin you know operation paperclip with nasa mm. uh that's what i'm saying it's like you know, like they're 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 okay with like him running the bird app, right? Like they probably like one of the big funds that funded them is maybe funded by them too. You know, like they just it's still controlled. I guess everyone has a hierarchy of what's most important or most valuable, right? And it's like, well, Elon might create some problem for the DNC or for the Biden administration or for whomever, but we still get his rockets and his satellites and all that stuff. So maybe that's a trade-off we're willing to make. I mean, who uh, we'll probably never know. Speaking of never know, did you guys see the 
the recent hoopla around the JFK uh, assassination that's become that's come yeah, to the fore again. <laughs> I don't know what actually triggered that. What was it like a Tucker interview with somebody or uh, I I that's the place that I saw it. So I don't know why if there was a new revelation or someone that was so-called directly involved came forward and that's why he he covered it but um yeah i don't know the pendulum just seems to be really swinging like we were in two years of like the government is truth the government is science do everything they say don't question it or you're completely removed from society to like dramatically swinging to everything's on the table now they've been lying to us about everything and you know Maybe even let's investigate some of it. You know, like you can look at it from like two angles, right? Like one is like you can go, hey, you know, maybe this is more controlled opposition. Here's some noise, right? right? right who right. who cares of our generation if Kennedy was assassinated by the government or not, right? Like probably not a lot of people. Um, so so like here's more noise, right? The other way is just you can just think about just time, right? You have enough time. There's not enough people alive who can sort of like truly shed light on it or go to jail or whatever. So it's kind of like, okay, it's time to open this one. Right? <laughs> like... Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the point about noise is a very strong one because, you know, even all these things can pop up and even if they're your issues, right, they align with your ideology or what you think was true or what you think happened. If it's taking your your attention away from the thing that's most important to you and that you think is actually the thing that's going to move the needle the most, then it's effective in a in a certain way to you know as far as people that might want you to avoid doing certain things is concerned. You know, and Don't my have a... yeah, sorry. My perspective on that is just like I can identify all these problems, and I already distrusted all the government institutions for a very long time, and so I just de facto assume they're all lying and they're all incompetent. And I'm sure there are some good ones in there, right? But by and large you know not trustworthy and incompetent and corrupt but what you know what's one to do in the face of something you know so monolithic and so powerful and to me for several years now it's been bitcoin do bitcoin as as much as you can and focus on that because that's the thing that has the you know is the greatest force multiplier for improving if not fully rectifying many of those things and so anything that distracts your attention from that like going down a rabbit hole of some you know declassified documents and trying to hold those people accountable is ultimately unproductive because you're taking your time away from the thing that's that's the thing that's most capable of rectifying the most things yeah no i mean building new things is is really where the time should be spent like it all there is enough sort of like low yield uh, 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 people in society who will pursue those endeavors and will try to sort of like find some closure and, you know, it's like low productivity, uh, sort of like a uh, 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 part of society. Um, you know, let them let them do those things. Like people who actually have like good things to produce to society should just like ignore all the noise and just sort of like go go ship. Yeah, go full man in the mountains. Yeah. Uh, but it, I mean, it is that kind of, that's the outrage loop. Not that it's one side or the other. It's like, you know, here, look at this and be angry about this. And here, look at this, be angry about that. And again, it doesn't have to be a conspiracy because the incentives are so, are such that the people serving you that, you know, if they can get more time from you, get more of your attention then in the current model of things. And I, as a side note, I think this is why, you know, the value enabled web Bitcoin coming to, to cyberspace is so interesting because I think it's going to rectify 
a lot of those incentives, you know, slowly, obviously it's basically just the beginning now, but we'll start, you know, we won't be monetizing attention and outrage the same way. And hopefully we'll be skewing things more toward, you know, value add and productivity and dare I say truth at some point, which would be wonderful. Gigi wrote a great blog post about value did, for value yeah. and attention economy and all that stuff. I, I highly recommend people going and reading it. Um, you know, I started the pod thing and I'm like, hey, you know, like this value for value sounds like completely absurd, right? Because, you know, realistically speaking, like most, it's very hard to like earn any income from people just donating, right? Because they like it. I'm sure there's going to be one or two guys who are very good at engaging and they'll find some income like uh, Adam, uh, Adam Curry, right? But like for, for the majority of people who are starting out, like I mean, they're not going to find enough income to sustain their families, right? Like doing this stuff. Uh, but hey, it's just, this stuff grows enough and there is like very low friction uh, uh, networks for people to, to earn like by producing some value on top of say ethical advertising or something like that. Mm -hmm. I, I think we're much more, we're in a much more like better, better place morally than, than we would be if it was just, you know, just, just nice ads. Yeah. Um, I, th I think two things will surprise us a lot. One is the added value, the added functionality that apps and platforms and services will have with this value transfer layer added into them. Like I think it opens up a world of, of possibilities that will dramatically improve the experience. Um, and I also think when that mind shift happens, like when we're, when that's more normalized and when it, there's less friction to it, like when we can more easily express value, let's say, I think we'll, we'll surprise ourselves how our idea of how commerce, let's say on the, on the internet or in digital landscapes or even in meat space actually works. Like I, I think we'll look back and, and see not for everything, of course, because different things are priced differently for different reasons, but we'll see certain things as being like a price cap. And we all would admit like, well, a price cap in, in communism or something is a bad thing, right? It doesn't allow the proper supply demand dynamics to take place. And I think, um, I think ultimately we'll see something like that where, We'll be surprised to the upside where how much how how many people willingly uh, reimburse people for the work that they've produced that that person happens to value. And just two two quick anecdotes on that. One, there's this guy I forget his name right now. I apologize to him, but he um, he's a musician, I think, out of the UK, and he released his most recent album. Um, in a value for value model. And his thinking was basically, he's a small artist and not, not, you know, doesn't have a massive audience and his Spotify, I think he gets like 0. 0.0002 of a, a cent per play or something like that. And he, the, his calculation, the punchline was he's making a lot more, you know, using value for value than he would have been on Spotify. So, you know, again, early days, small artists, but that's interesting. And then I spoke to the the chief Bitcoin officer, which I think is probably going to be a, a more common uh, role as we move into the future, as companies, you know, learn, that, recognize that they have to integrate Bitcoin uh, beyond just accepting Bitcoin. Uh, and it's a, the Perth Heat in, uh, in Australia. It's a baseball team in the professional league there. And they've integrated uh, value for value just this past November. Um, and in its initial incarnation, it's something called Sats for Stats. So you can watch the live game. And then there's a QR code pops up when the guy's up to bat, you can send them sats directly. 
Um, and of course, they have Bitcoin integrations throughout the rest of their organization. But they calculated for fielded players just after one month, their uh, income went up by 2%. And like, you know, that's pretty material after after one month of a totally new thing that most people have no idea about, like how many people have a lightning wallet and are able to send lightning payments to, you know, anywhere. Um, so you, you give that some years to play out and to get smoother. And I think it could end up being extremely material and the, you know, the underlying philosophy that this idea of setting value free, which Gigi articulates so well, he, he dropped another article two or three days ago, called about the value enabled web. And I think it's required reading for everyone because it really helps to paint the picture about where this thing may go and the, and the capabilities that, you know, Bitcoin lightning and other, you know, layers are going to facilitate with this stuff. It's super, super exciting. Um, we, we did like, I think like two hours and a half conversation on, on Bitcoin.review. I think it's like episode 11 um, with Adam Curry and Gigi uh, and, um, I forget the Oscar uh, and yeah. Matt. Uh, Oscar is the the guy Fountain. from uh, Fountain, uh, and you know I, I entered that conversation very skeptical. Uh, you know I understand the, the 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 ad dynamics and and like you know like it's it's outsized, right? Because it is asymmetric to to the audience. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but, but you know after talking to them for quite a bit, I I, I think like my realization with this is that. Um, what we're going to see is a lot more patronage. Essentially, yeah, yeah. you're going to see, uh, you know, if you want that show you like, that thing you like to exist, right? Uh, you're going to have to support it financially, right? Because that person has an opportunity cost that got repriced in Bitcoin, right? So that person could be going to do something else to buy Bitcoin for their future, right? Mm -hmm. So if you don't fulfill that Bitcoin purchasing opportunity cost for him, he will go do something else, even though he loves doing that passion project, right? Um, so I think you're going to find a lot more old school patronage, you know, back in the, in sound money days, you know, if you had a lot of money or, you know, you, you'd patron somebody who was great to do something just because you loved it, mm -hmm. right? And hopefully that becomes something that you pass on to your children, right? Either by ownership of the thing or just by the fact that, you know, listen, I patron Da Vinci, right? Like, it, it, it's uh, it, there is a pride in that. There's there's a lot of interesting human dynamics in that, uh, and and I think that you know this lightning sats thing really sort of starts to play in that. It's like instead of just like you got sats, um, it, it's not an empty gesture, right? Um, you're parting with something, um, anyways. And uh, there, there's something to it. I mean, on the one hand, you have you know, everyone wants to hodl as much as possible, right? So there's an extreme, there's, you would think there's an extreme aversion to spending Bitcoin. And I guess to an extent there is, it, it determines, you know, everyone probably has an amount they're willing to play around with and the amount they're not going to touch. But it, one giving sats is, is somehow different than giving fiat. I don't know if I'm just way too deep in the like weeds with Bitcoin philosophically, but it's like, I, it's a far more virtuous act in a way or there's there's better principles wrapped up in it you know and perhaps not surprisingly because you're not giving someone a debt you're not giving some someone something that um can easily be stolen from them if not physically but you know in terms of its purchasing power or value uh and then of course receiving sats is even better right because even if it's like 10 sats like 
you ask anyone who uses podcasting 2.0 or has value for value in some way, it's like they, they see a little message come in for a hundred sats and it puts a smile on their face and it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing, but you know, it, it has that effect. So I think, uh, the, the the change in the nature of the currency and how frictionless it's going to be is going to is going to change the behavior and then to your point rodolfo like i do think that um i don't know if bitcoiners is the right word to use but when people establish greater and greater financial security and you know i don't it's not equivalent to say like a million dollars in fiat and a million dollars in bitcoin because as we know you know the security you feel around the latter is far more profound for most people than the former um, or for, for Bitcoiners, let's say. Um, I think there's a lot more capacity for charity and charity is the wrong word because they you're, you're getting something in return, but uh, maybe generosity is the right word. Like I think there, I mean, there's going to be a lot. Capacity is a very important thing. Like, yeah. you know, you can't do anything without having economical potential, right? Mm -hmm. Economical capacity, like, because you can't do everything. Right. So so you need to be able to fund things if that's funding your coffee <laughs> you know, because you really want it. So but, but because we have fiat and we don't have a pricing mechanism for the money. Right. Because the money just sort of like streams from that. Right. So like mm -hmm. we, we just we just we don't have a way of 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 pricing our future. Right. And Bitcoin is the opposite. So that's sad. They're like, I'm super happy when somebody sends me like literally like 10 sets just saying, hey, right? Like <laughs> it, it's a weird thing because those sets, like you said, economically right at this moment mean absolutely nothing, right? But yeah. that person parted away with something that has true value for them, mm. right? It is priceable unlike fiat that has an economic uh, uh, upside to in the future for for real not like you know debasing so like it's very special right and, and, and you know again it's not just a like um and, and then there's all the other economic things around it too right so you, you are able to know for certain if people are actually listening to that not just pressing play like a bot or something because it costed them sets to do so there's like a lot more nuanced and a lot more interesting things are able to happen in this sort of like sat streaming or, or, or sat exchanging dynamics. Yeah. And just on your point about like the patrons, and I think most people might be familiar with like patrons in the, in the Renaissance or something like that. But, you know, that, that is my sense about where things are heading. Like when people have the financial security, they have the capacity to be more generous. And then it's just a matter of like, is the cause meaningful enough for them to do so? And again, we're so early, but initial impressions are that um, I guess the capacity combined with the um, capability, like how frictionless it is to do so, I find Bitcoiners to be extremely generous. Like you find someone who says on Twitter, like, oh, I had this bad thing happen to me and people like throw up an invoice, you know, and we'll, we'll send you a bunch of sats or people that are doing really interesting uh, charitable work in El Salvador right now, building schools or building, you know, uh, medical clinics and that kind of stuff. And uh, again, I'm I'm highly biased, but I do think that the the combination of those two things and possibly more, the capacity and the capability, like the, the 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 technology being there to make to do it easily, those two things taken together, I think we're going to find that there's a lot more generosity, a lot more patronage, a lot more 
willingness to fund things that you want to see in the world, things that you think are meaningful as we move into a Bitcoin standard and people having, you know, greater financial security and, and less and less people in an artificial, let's say, sense of deprivation, which the fiat system produces by and large, you know, so people are people, you, people are incentivized to hold as much as possible to their chest because consciously or not, they know that it's slowly being drained from them. So you, you're, you're far less incentivized to, to give and to patronize and to do those things. And I think we're going to see the, basically the reverse of that as we move into a Bitcoin standard. And I think value for value will be, is conducive to that phenomenon or that change taking place, let's say. You know, like through all the cycles of Bitcoin since the very early days, you know, you had like guys like Ver, you know, he funded like a lot of the early companies in the space, right? Because he managed to get a huge pile of Bitcoin uh, early, right? There, there was a lot of people like that who just funded everything, even though it was like, you know, <laughs> almost that's an certain investment, those right? guys were not going to make it, right? As a company, but it was necessary step in order to have interest in the market to do things, right? I mean, you look at the kids from Noster, up until two days ago, I had no idea they were completely unfunded, right? Mm. Like, so like, you know, they, this came about, like Jack sent them 14 Bitcoin, like here, like fund exactly. yourselves, right? Exactly. Uh, and, and, and like, I, I think people, when people are capitalized, of course, they're more willing to share, right? Because they're not like making their family eat less or whatever. Mm -hmm. It becomes more discretionary. Uh, but the other thing too is, I think because, a lot of the these people in the space are seeking truth, are seeking honesty, right? They are more willing to believe that the person, this name on the other side, is an honest person. So they're more willing to just give, right? I think like most people are fairly good at charity. It's just that like charities are so sort of captured by fiat things and by regulation and by stuff. They're like people just assume that when you donate, you know, that the, the bureaucratic class of that entity is just going to take 80% of the donations, right. you know, to pay for their nice shit. So I, I think because now it's like direct donation uh, and, and you, you can often see when it comes to colders that, you know, the stuff is getting done on GitHub, right? Um, people are more willing to give. Like people, I think, just want to make sure that what they're giving is being actually used for a good cause, right? Mm -hmm. Um yeah, you want to see so, the so impact. So that's I think like a lot of the yeah the transparency. Totally. Uh, what do you guys think of the Nostra phenomenon? It seems like it's taken Twitter by storm the last couple of days. I know it's been around for a while, but it's really after Jack came on board with the donation and you know put the his address and his profile and everyone's piling in. It's kind of like you know prior uh, Mastodon movements and stuff like that, but it seems like it has a little bit more stickiness to it what do you guys think i'm excited to see people try it try out new things um you know i think we're gonna make one for river uh i think you know I, i'm always a little bit i'm always skeptical that a decentralized social media can um provide the same ux uh of a centralized service um mm. and will really be able to capture like the network effects but i really would love to see it happen um, and I'm really glad people are trying. So uh, I, I've had keys on this thing for a long time and uh, I was not very active, but then I became active on it. Uh, what's, what's fascinating about Noster is that this is a extremely simple protocol to do messaging, right? So this is the kind of stuff that you replace the internet with, right? On the same pipes. 
uh, and it's good for email. It's good for like you can replace email. You can replace your replace your calendar system. You can replace social media and Twitter. It's just like one very narrow application of this protocol. Um, so Do you mean replace it, it, the internet from like a server model to a just more distributed it's, architecture? It's a server model. So essentially what Nostra is, is just a, a, a federated relay system, right. right? So essentially anybody can run a server that just relays Nostra packages, messages, mm -hmm. right? So those messages are very simple and they're all based on, on public Key, key private key cryptography, right? And they use Bitcoin primitives, which makes it great. Uh, so that's why Bitcoiners are so excited about it. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the internet is essentially a bunch of packages, right? As, as the famous uh, uh, um, congressman said, is a series of tubes. Um, <laughs> so like you have essentially like all the servers out there in Noster, right? Like relaying and storing this, this messages concurrently. So like you can have many in parallel starting the same. So they could be storing my message I just sent to you. Uh, maybe Alex server doesn't like me and doesn't want to store mine. It doesn't matter, right? It still relays. It's kind of how the internet used to work way back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, so what right now we're doing, and it's like a great use case, is this Twitter sort of replacement. And it's absolutely fantastic and very active. Uh, the UX is actually really good. Still choppy, of course, and all that <laughs> stuff. Um, Mastodon failed because it's shit software run by essentially like like fully woke, like truly woke people, right? So my instance, Bitcoin, uh, uh, BitcoinHackers.org got blocked by every single Mastodon server that there is <laughs> because we're unmoderated, right? Um, with Noster, it's very different. Uh, you you can still participate with each other even if your servers don't like each other. Uh, you just choose who you personally don't want to interact with in a certain extent. It's not built out yet, but um, th this thing feels like Bitcoin in the beginning. It has the right intention. It has the right honesty. It has the right uh, uh, set of incentives. It has the right simplicity. Uh, it has enough capitalized people interested in it, uh, and, and, it's, and it can be used for many, many different things. Um, so if it replaces Twitter, that's a sort of separate question. Uh, uh, it's already fun enough that you're going to see Bitcoin Twitter get a lot more quiet. Um, but uh, but it, it will definitely replace many things. And and it will definitely replace many boring things that you would not expect, like calendar servers kind of thing. Like it has a lot of potential to fix a lot of deep, profitable things. Hmm. Uh, so that's why it has a high chance of sort of like really taking the world by storm. Uh, I, I think that's that's why there's so many people that are in our circles who are so excited about it. Get, get an account, like get a, a key pair, go play with it, download this... Uh, uh, demos app if you're on iOS because then it's like boomer proof. You turn it on, it works. Uh, I've been on Astro Ninja so far, and there you uh, go. that one the UX is okay. It's not super clean. I, I think I might try the one that you just mentioned because that's from that's you said iOS, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the intent of this specific one is to sort of emulate Twitter-like dynamics, right? Uh, yeah, that's I, that's the application they're sort of like building on top with this 
package system. Right. Yeah, interesting. It's um, it'll be interesting to see if it sticks. You know, the counter the counter force is, and and I, I understand that there's a lot more potential than just a Twitter replacement. But you know, it looks like we're heading into an era where Twitter is less censored. You know, and because I, I think, yeah, obviously a large part of the selling point for a lot of this stuff is free speech, right? Less censorship. You can say what you want. You can't be muzzled. You can't be deplatformed. De all that stuff. Um, now, I think you, it's probably wise to consider this a reprieve from the censorship and not like a, a full-on pendulum swing because God knows what could happen, uh, you know, with to Elon or, or however the story unfolds. But I think, I think it's great. I mean, do you not think that ultimately we wind up in a place? And actually, I want to take this full circle and maybe close it out in the last couple of issues. But one of the issues over the last year that I think is apparent is that a lot of these problems come from trying to fit Bitcoin into the legacy financial world and legacy financial thinking and, fi and, and fiat thinking. And if you do that, whether you're the operator, the entrepreneur, the, the customer, you're going to get wrecked because they're largely incompatible systems. Some aspects are more compatible, more compatible than others, but like they're predicated on very different principles. And so people that are trying to have their cake and eat it too, by get, by having both, you're probably just going to get wrecked at some point. Um, and so I think the internet generally is probably going to move to an architecture where, you know, it's a lot harder to get wrecked. That's part of the reason why I wanted to have Matt on the, you know, the show today, because he's working on sovereign computing, right. And, you know, running your own server and hosting a lot of your own stuff. And that's an element of that, hosting your own podcast, hosting your own websites and being more expensive to tyranny, as they say, right. Harder to shut down and harder to censor. And I think that's the way things are going. And I think this, this past year in Bitcoin has been a bit of a, a lesson in that. Like you can't, there's some things that you're just not going to be able to do with Bitcoin and you're just going to have to live with that. Like stacking sats and just doing nothing else with your money is probably the way to wind up with the most Bitcoin in 10 years from now. Um, but I've, I've heard both of you guys kind of comment on that in some, to some degree. And the way in which I'm thinking now is, um, you know, the, the issue about custodians, right. And, you know, companies in the space, various companies using different custodians versus what you guys do, Alex, which is basically build your own um, custodian model and, um, you know, promote the, the benefits of taking self-custody and all that kind of stuff. But where do you think, well, what's, what are your, what are your opinions on, on that? And Alex, one you've been bringing up is, is, was, was in relation to prime trust, which like most uh, consumer facing platforms in the space use like what 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 do you guys think is the the crucial point here and how things are going to develop from here yeah i mean so um yeah i mean obviously obviously there's a lot here right it, you know at river we control our own custody uh we encourage people who buy bitcoin to take that bitcoin into their own self-custody um uh you know a lot of companies you know for those listening who don't really sort of know how this all works they, they going through the hassle of getting all the licenses required to hold client funds yourself and to actually serve as a financial institution, it's a lot of work, right? So instead, they said, like a lot of companies go, we'll just focus on building the app. We'll let this other company act as the financial institution. And actually, they're going to be the one where the customer has the account and they actually move the money. We just like build an app on top of that, right? Now, the, the 
that's how neo banking works, right? That's how fintech apps, that's how like Chime and like these, you know, these like techie bank apps work. They're not actual banks. They have a bank behind the scenes that they're basically this like wrapper on top of, and they have a unique go-to-market strategy and they're good at product and, you know, blah, 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 blah. The problem with Bitcoin and doing this in crypto is that um, you have a lot of sketchy companies in this industry. And if you're a, uh, and, 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 and prime trust in particular, and again, like I don't have any insider knowledge here. This is all just sort of like theoretical failure modes that I'm discussing. But, um, you know, when you have an account on an app built on prime trust, well, you actually have an account at prime trust, right? What if it turns out, and prime trust is sort of like letting that app act on your behalf, right? Um, and there are some checks, right? I think in some cases, if you're withdrawing Bitcoin, they'll prime trust sends you an email and make sure that you initiated that. But there's book transfers happening, um, uh, not on chain, right? Between the company and your account and all, all the sorts of stuff. What happens if it turns out one of prime trust enterprise customers was doing funny business with customers' assets and prime trust didn't have the controls in place to prevent that from happening? Do those users of that app doing the funny business have a claim against Prime Trust? Um, and the failure, the failure mode there would cascade to every company built on Prime Trust, right? Because the assets are all aren't there. Um, and there's this, you know, they're saying they're they're segregated. I don't think that's. I've never seen evidence to sh to suggest there's any segregation happening. Um, I'm not saying it's not. I've seen no evidence to 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 on chain to suggest that it is segregated. Um, so, what happens in that world, right? Well, everyone using the shared custodian, all of a sudden you have one Bitcoin in, in the custodian and two people claiming that they have a Bitcoin. Um, you, you know, right? Like we all know how that, what, like what happens there. So um, again, like I'm not saying. I'm not claiming there's fraudulent activity happening. I'm not claiming that this is the case. Um, I'm just, I don't, I don't think a lot of people are aware of like the types of failure modes that might be possible. Yeah. I, I know the, the new CEO of Prime Trust um, and, and I, I was asking him, right? Like, do, what are you inheriting there? Because uh, they just, this was planned uh, months ago, like before the whole shit show happened, right? The succession of, of CEOs, um, you know, he he of course can't tell me like details and stuff. He said shop looks good. Uh, I can't trust because I can't verify. Um, but I think uh, I think that uh, you know what I said to him is like you know like you guys need to do a better job at like you know conveying risk to the market so that people understand the risk the full risk, right? Which the clients who do engage with them do get. Uh, and, and also like, you know, making sure that there is enough disclosure allowed by the clients of Prime Trust to sort of like put out to the public of like how the risk works and all that stuff. Um, you know, there is decent people there, but again, you know, like I, I totally understand where Alex is coming from. Like, it's like, it's opaque, right? Has there um, been has there been an explanation why you like why not just verify funds in a in a traditional 
sort of it's way. Pointless because you you can have a a um, a proof of proof of Bitcoin, right? Like right, you can right. do like a, a chain signature, but you don't know the liabilities, and the liabilities you trust in the auditors. Right. Enron was great at getting everybody on board. <laughs> so like, what 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 also, li- all what the people at Prime Trust could be good. Like pri- I'm not saying Prime Trust yes, is all the disclaimers. We're not this is not like anything yeah. bad against Prime Trust or it's the people involved, but it's an interesting issue that should be discussed, but, you but, know. So but like what's the failure mode if one of their enterprise customers was criminal? Right? Like, and what's the claim well, that have, like what's the claim that those those use the users of that enterprise have against prime trust no it could right. be worse than that right i mean they could have a, a contract with somebody else and then they have this huge gaping liability they wouldn't know about until they know about and the market is often tanking when those things happen so like listen i i think like we we can't escape those things like there, there's no way in which Bitcoin on ramping will exist with that, like economically viably, right? The same way you can't have the loans with interest in a reasonable way without having more risk on counterparty. So like in order to find the economies that you need, you need to have risk, right? That's risk versus price. Those things kind of go hand in hand. So I think finding more, um, uh, clarity, finding more transparency is great. I think companies need to show more to the customers where their risk is. The, when you buy publicly traded companies, they have to disclose risk, right? When you're a consumer, nobody has the requirement to disclose your risk. So I think it's on to Bitcoin companies to start disclosing risk and say, hey, listen, guys, uh, we are a Bitcoin broker. We use this uh, a prime broker and their risk is to us believed to be this much and here and here, right? And, and like, please get your funds off of my platform as soon as you buy them, right? So like everybody accepts the risk. Everybody understands that that's how you find a Bitcoin for a low fee. And, and it's a much better place to be on than just sort of like, please trust me. Well, sure. Okay, two two questions on that. One is for a cust- for a custodian, a la Prime Trust or whomever else. You know, you said one of the reasons why they they can't easily be audited uh, is because you you know you don't know their liabilities. But what what liabilities would a company like that have? Like a pure? Oh, it could be, it could be shareholder loans. It could be like it it, it could be like how like fuck, it could be a lawsuit that they were underinsured for. Right. Like it's essentially like infinite. Right. So what do you normally do is you have a big accounting firm, review your books, review every single liability. But then how many hops do you go on those liabilities? Right. Because maybe a asset on the balance sheet looks good enough for an auditor. But then you go look deeper into that asset that looked like it was triple A mortgages or whatever. Right. But it's actually full of toxic shit because the other second tertiary party on their liability was lying to you or a criminal right so what what do you think's the alternative how how should those trust determinations be made in absence of I, I think, that degree I think of the, clarity the market is very good about that right so unchain capital is no liability against your btc collateral right zero 
They don't own your BTC. They can't rehypothecate nothing. It's sitting there on multi-sig. That means that they all they can do is offer you 14% interest. Super expensive interest. Mm-hmm. Ultra expensive interest, right? So just through this pricing mechanism, you can normally find out. If somebody is offering you yield on Bitcoin denominated in Bitcoin, it means you are the yield <laughs> to somebody else, right? So, so like, I think the market just needs to learn all the lessons that traditional finance learn, right? Because they used to have a lot of this criminal sort of like products back in the day. It's just, and a lot of this stuff got regulated. I just hope that people getting fully racked uh, uh, sort of like helps with us not having regulation around this stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, as everyone recognizes, there's so much shady business in the space that throwing a bunch of Bitcoin in a black box and saying, hey, trust us is, you know, shouldn't I mean, inspire much confidence in in that many people. Even in, in, I agree, like over time, the market should, you know, separate the wheat from the chaff, but it's still, you know, given the capabilities of this asset, and Alex, I got a question for you, but I, I want you to respond. What were you going to say first? But it's it's uh, doesn't it doesn't inspire that much comfort. Let's say. Well, I was going to say one like one just like simple, and again, this doesn't solve everything. But like it like as far as I can tell, there's no on chain segregation happening at Prime Trust. If they just did that, and they could show their cust each enterprise, even if it's not by user, just like by enterprise, right? Um, your coins are here on chain, right? That would, that would help a lot. Yeah. Cause then those costs, then those companies can at least say, well, we can see to their users, like we can see your coins on chain. It's not just like an entry in their ledger. Yeah. Right? No, or offer a price, right? Like this is, this is what I, I've been talking to a few companies that were doing lending and stuff before through the, the years. Cause I wanted mortgages to happen and stuff. So like, you know, just, just go to the customer and say, hey, listen, here's an option where there's no risk. It costs 14%. Here's a, a, an option with some risk. It costs 10%. Here's a fully risky option. It costs 5%, right? So like, and, and this is true for enterprise to enterprise too, right? So like Pime Trust could go to say River and say, hey, listen, come use us as your source of Bitcoin, right? Um, if you want us to just IOU, you know, it costs this much, you know, and if you want us to segregate, it costs this much more. And then you can make a business economic decision on what makes sense to you, right? Like, I don't know, like that, just the option already transpires a lot more trust to me, even if you end up for economic reasons, not taking the the lowest risk option. Uh, It's just the fact that it's there. I think it's a huge win. This may be a stupid question, but would the enterprises like that use a, a prime trust, what degree of transparency would they have on? I mean, they would know how many, what like the the volume they're doing and they'd be able to parcel what they should have, I guess, being custodied. It by- depends on their contract. I mean, it depends on their size. The bigger fish you are dealing with a financial institution, the more clarity, the more access to stuff you get, right? Because you get to start dictating terms on how you do your due diligence. So like when Sailor probably went to Coinbase and said, hey, I want to park a third of my Bitcoin here, right? They bend over, right? right? Like you can look at whatever you want. You can follow me every day. Now, if, uh, you know, if a smaller entity goes there and say, hey, I want to park, you know, a, a hundredth of what he did, they're going to go like, okay, this is our standard contract. Mm. 
that seem right to you, Alex? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's different ways to use prime trust. Like the the the, the mode I'm talking about is when you're using them as as the financial institution, like, and you're in, like basically serving as an agent of their like trust charter, where like every user in your app is out, also has an account at Prime Trust, and Prime Trust is KYCing. Prime Trust is processing the payments. Prime Trust is holding the assets, and Prime Trust has a ledger with every user of your app on there, right? Mm -hmm. So that's how it works. Um, and, uh, you know, like, so a company can look at their ledger, like, you know, and prime trust and see all my users have this much Bitcoin, right? Some of it might be in flight, right. From like a trade or something. Um, but like they should, if, if it's actually segregated, they should be able to see a wallet where the coins are sitting. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, me, it's tricky, me... right? Because it is inefficient. And I'm not defending that behavior. Like I would, I, I personally wish it was one-to-one -one on a UTXO and people would have a UTXO visibility, right? So actual coin visibility. But, you know, realistically speaking, when, you know, the majority of the clients are like buying, you know, a hundred bucks worth of Bitcoin per trade, right? Like it, it becomes- well, I'm not talking about segregated per user. I'm talking about yeah. segregated per like- entity. Oh, no, no. I agree with you. Right. I, I'm yeah. just saying like- you know, how they manage their shit is, like, you know, they're yeah. going to try to find the most efficient, cheapest way of possibly doing it, right? Even if they're not being nefarious. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, and I think another thing you said was how companies communicate in this space. I mean, in every industry, it matters how people communicate. And I, I've seen some plebs trip up asking why there's been no explanation, if there hasn't been, because I, I haven't been following it that closely, about the this, the former CEO being fired. And I know you said, Rodolfo, that that was planned before all the FTX yeah, debacle, not, but still when you're custodying that much poor funds. Communication. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Alex, question for you on this, because it's obviously super relevant to you. Like you have to, you've built your own because you believe that that's the best way to do it. That's the most secure and transparent way to do it. But you have, you're not non-custodial, you know, because a lot of users are going to, not want to take custody of their funds either at all or initially. And I keep coming back to this, again, that tension between like the legacy world and, and Bitcoin world where it just seems like if people don't treat this asset or avail of the, the benefits of this asset by taking self-custody ultimately, then we recreate a version of the former world in a way. And we also just kind of people that keep getting wrecked until they learn the lesson that you have, have to hold your own keys. And it's almost like the better the custody solutions get and then ETFs pop off and all this kind of stuff that disincentivizes people to go down the self custody, you know, rabbit hole. And then, you know, at some point people get wrecked. Now let sure there'll be some institutions. I'd like to think, you know, river who does such a good job that you never compromise. You don't have, you know, funds are always safe, but, Who's to say that the the custodian of the ETF or whatever enterprise, like these are all going to be vulnerable at some point. And there will always be these um, instances where people get wrecked in advance of taking custody themselves. But obviously the point is like how much, I don't know, volume liquidity do you leave on the table if you don't offer a service like that? And the answer right now is probably a shitload. And so how do you reconcile uh, knowing like the... The, the benefits that this asset represents and wanting people to approach it that way, but 
knowing that there's also a huge demand for offering a somewhat of an alternative approach? I mean, so I think I maybe view it a little bit differently. Um, I don't view it as like a, this client is a self-custody client and this client is a like they keep it with us client. It's a it's a spectrum that people uh, like sort of move over time, right? So um, I view our do custody they, as like- Do they though? Is that your experience that they do move yeah, over yeah. time? Yeah, we like during the FTX thing, we had like large deposits <laughs> sure. who were like, finally, like, yeah, finally, like I'm going to sell custody, right? And like when they start first started using River, they were totally new to Bitcoin, right? right. It was like super, super, like it would have been like buying that amount of Bitcoin and also self-custodying that same day would have just been like, it's just like too much, right? Um, and so like, like we don't make any money on custody. If everyone withdrew from River tomorrow, I'd be kind of relieved. Um, right. Uh, so like, it's actually in our economic interest because we don't monetize custody to encourage people to take delivery of their Bitcoin. That said, I, I don't want to live in a world where you can't trust any institution like ever, right? Like that's actually not like an effective civilization, right? Um, I do believe like institutional trust is like a core part of having, uh, you know, a, a healthy society. I, and I want people to be able to trust River, but not have to. And I think like, because you don't have to, right? Because there's Bitcoin gives you that option. It, it will lead to a world of higher trust institutions. That's maybe, maybe that's not like, maybe that's a little sort of some hopium there. Um, no, it's not. But I, I do think that's what's going to happen. And I don't think everyone is like, and, and the reality is institutions are also like not really set up to like it. No one wants to have to recreate the wheel every time, right? Yeah. Um, some they want to trust institutions. That's always going to be a factor, and I think that's just reality. I think just that's just humanity. Can I give you just one example that's interesting on this dynamic? So you know, with cold card, you can like go full tin foil on it, right? You guys are users of that, you know. <laughs> so like. You know, you can check the source code, you can build the source code, you can check the signatures, you can use dice, you can do this, you can do that. Like you can do it in such a way, there's absolutely no way CoinKite can rug you, right? Realistically speaking. I mean, like aside from just, you know, having a probe in, you know, in your brain or something, right? Like even then, right? Like uh, do most users do that? No. Uh, knowing that there is people who do go to that extent uh, one proved that the company is honest about offering that option, right? And and I think that cycle of honesty uh, uh, with provability creates a different dynamic between like you and your users. Uh, there is a, a different kind of trust and a different kind of verify, right? People who use people they know as heuristics to trust a company or not trust that company, you create a bit of a web of trust in one sense, which humans are great at, right? Um, but because we have to keep that that trust option in there working at all times, they also know that there is no window for us because there's people who are verifying, right? For us to sort of to try to rug you, right? And, and I think that dynamic is true around everything in Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is like that. Do most people run a node and check their UTXOs? No. Do most people check that there is no inflation bug on Bitcoin? No, right? But there's enough people who are, right? And the option is there for anyone to do so that creates this like 
this perfect dynamic really, right? That creates the efficiency that most people don't go through the trouble because it is inefficient. It's very inefficient to go through the trouble, but it, it, you know, it, it does sort of like uh, uh, create this, this helm of, of some trust or, or, or levels of trust that you're willing to go based on your efficiency needs. Uh, I, I think that dynamic is, is absolutely amazing. And, and that's sort of like what Bitcoin really sort of changes for financial, for software, for everything. Yeah. No, I agree with both of those points that having the option where, where you don't need to trust, where you can do everything in a, let's say, uh, self-sovereign sort of way, that does create a an interesting and new dynamic in terms of trust. And I think it allows for the trust that emerges in a market dynamic to be more reliable than perhaps the one where we have right now. I guess that the tension is always just going to be, especially in relation to Bitcoin, what is the dynamic around regulation and how governments treat it? And you know, what are the attack vectors going to be um, that incentivize or inspire people to change how they think about this? So even though a trust model might work for a given circumstance, when the circumstances changes, obviously change, obviously the trust model might change as well. And so, Alex, you know, the, the customers you reference in, in relation to what happened with FTX are a good example. And if the, the US government decides, well, we're banning Bitcoin and River, now you're a terrorist organization or whatever, well, then that probably will change people's opinion on things as well. So, um, you know, it, I think the, the, the simple fact, well, perhaps the solution is to optimize all available options uh, so that, you know, come what may, people are able to maximize the benefit of this asset and any, you know, service providers that layer on top of it. This is this is the the biggest sort of like change that happened, the paradigm change that Bitcoin brought, right? Um, we now have a, a, a sort of common layer, a common protocol, right? That's why Nasser is also cool. But Bitcoin is a common protocol with interchangeable solutions. Right. We, for wallets, it's like you take your seat and you go to the other competitor if you don't like what I have. Right. Uh, for you guys, it's like, you know, I can just go and find a different Bitcoin supplier. Right. It's the same Bitcoin. Right. And the Bitcoin is, 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 is withdrawable. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and this was not true ever for anything related to finance. Right. You open your, your bank account in a traditional bank. You can't just go and take a million dollars out of the bank in a duffel bag. They won't even let you, right? They're going to give you a voucher, right? A money order or, or, or say if they're nice enough because they kick you out, they'll let you do it via wire, right? But you still have to go to another financial institution. So, so you're still captured in their system, right? Mm. There is no open protocol for you to just sort of take it and go home if you want to. So just by the sheer fact that Bitcoin makes everybody replaceable, everybody's just a client value add on top of Bitcoin, right? Everybody's replaceable. It keeps everybody honest to a, a better degree. We're going to have a lot of scammers, but everybody still has to give it back in that original protocol unit of account, right? Or they get like immediately terminated, right? That's why FTX was still allowing you draws up until the last moment that they couldn't anymore. Right? They were still having to, to be honest to a certain extent uh, while, you know, like try to get your, 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 uh, your shares back from Enron or something. Like try to, uh, you know, when, when uh, uh, Robin Hood rugged everybody with the, the GameStop, right? Uh, they literally removed the, the, the sell button because you're still captured, yeah. right? Uh, um, and, and Bitcoin changes that. 
Totally. That's one of the cool things I think is going to emerge with, you know, DIDs and having an identity that you can take from one place and port to another place without any loss, well, without as much loss of the, the, the data associated with your identity, you know, and um, it's kind of a similar dynamic where the, you're captured by those various platforms and you don't have a fungible thing to take with you if you go somewhere else. And, you know, perhaps we're entering an era where your identity is more I don't know if fungible is the right word, but transportable and you can take, uh, transportable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, gents we're at time and I know it's week of Christmas, so you probably have lots of family and work stuff to clue up before uh, the big day. So, uh, we'll shut it down. Thanks for doing this. Um, I put this together purely, you know, I know you're actually both supporters of the show and I appreciate that, but it was really just, you know, when I do these group shows, I, uh, put together people that I think would be, you know, just jive well based on personality and interest and that kind of stuff. And there are actually a bunch of more uh, topics like uh, uh, ancient Amazonian civilizations and things like that that I want to crack into with uh, you guys. But why don't we put a pin in it and uh, maybe we'll do this again in, in three to six months time and we'll, we'll try to rope Madden. Let's do it. Love All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for your time. Have a great Christmas and uh, speak to you in the new year. Bye. Take care, guys. Yeah.